all that for God to say, no, I'm not like these other gods. I stand alone. I provide for you, period, as an act of grace. You don't have to bribe me. That's not what this relationship's about. This worship relationship is about you recognize I give and I give and I give. And you can say thank you and offer back. Thank you and offer back. That's what the worship relationship is. Welcome to Faith Refresh, where we take another look at the Bible passages, beliefs, and other church stuff you've probably heard a million times and find something fresh. Hey there, I'm Anson, joined by Chaplain Justin, and this is episode one. And we're not going to spend a lot of time on this because hopefully you'll get the hang of Faith Refresh as we go along. But because this is the first episode, we want to take just a few moments to explain kind of what this show is all about and who it's for. And we know that deconstruction has become a bit of a buzzword in the modern age. And we've probably all seen social media posts from friends or celebrities announcing a departure from their faith because for many, Christianity is becoming implausible or even impossible to believe. So if you are deconstructing or if you've been there, you're probably trying to make sense of your faith, asking questions like, is Jesus worth trusting? Is this my faith or is it something I inherited? And if you've ever wrestled with those questions, this podcast is for you. The word deconstruction can mean different things to different people. To some, it's the process of dissecting your beliefs to make them your own. Others say that deconstruction usually involves a rejection of your previous beliefs. And whatever you think of that word in particular, it's my opinion that examining our faith doesn't necessarily have to end in unbelief. What if deconstructing could just be the first mile on the road towards reconstruction, building up a mature and robust faith that doesn't shy away from the deep, hard questions of life? So on the show, we're going to do just that. Uh, We're going to grapple with Bible passages and beliefs and church practices that may have tripped us up in the past because there have been some that have tripped me up in the past. (laughs) And we won't have all the answers, of course, but our simple prayer is that we would all learn and grow together. And ultimately, we pray that Jesus would become more precious to all of us and that our faith would be refreshed. So with that, we're going to jump into our story for episode one, which is a classic it's the story of Abraham and Isaac. Yes. If you were coming up with classic stories of the Bible, I don't know, one. like a top 10 or something yeah. like that. I feel like this would make the list. Yeah, absolutely. If you'd like to read the story for yourself, it can be found in the Bible, in the book of Genesis. You can find it in chapter 22. We're not going to read the whole passage for you, but wanted to give you just a little brief synopsis. Many of you are probably very familiar with the story, maybe really, really familiar with this story, because like we said, it's probably in the greatest hits catalog (laughs) of Bible stories. But if you're not, let's talk about the, uh, the cliff notes version real quick. So the text says God decided to test Abraham. Mm -hmm. He speaks to him. He asks Abraham to take his only son, Isaac up on a mountain and sacrifice him. And the way the the text just kind of like (laughs) comes right out with that, it just lays the facts out there. Right. Mm -hmm. And we don't really get any sort of window into Abraham's emotional response to the command, which I think is interesting. It doesn't say how he felt, whether he was surprised by this command or taken aback or just business as usual. He just kind of matter of factly gets up the next morning, sets out for the mountain as prescribed. They get there. Isaac says, hey, I know what we're doing. We're making an offering to God. So clearly he's familiar with this process. But he says, there's no lamb. That's what we normally sacrifice, right? And there's no lamb. So where do we get the lamb? And Abraham says that God is going to provide the lamb. Mm -hmm. 
So they reach the location. Abraham binds Isaac. And I assume at this point, Isaac has realized that this is not the normal way of doing (laughs) things. Something has changed. And prepares to use his knife to kill his son. And then the angel of God calls out to him in that moment, tells him not to harm Isaac. The angel says he knows that Abraham's obedience proves that Abraham fears God. And then God provides a ram who is sacrificed in Isaac's place. Mm -hmm. Abraham calls the place the Lord will provide. And the angel then blesses Abraham because of his obedience. There's a lot in that story. Agreed. But I want to start with a a very simple question. I think Mm -hmm. a simple question, which is how does the story make you feel trying to maybe read it through fresh eyes for a lot of us? Maybe it doesn't feel very fresh. What feelings bubble to the surface (laughs) as you read the story? I don't know. This is very emotionally intelligent, but I just kind of feel a sense of, whoa. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It feels heavy to me. Mm -hmm. Uh, but Rachel, my wife, we have two boys. We read the Jesus Storybook Bible yeah. in the evenings. And we got to this story one time. And as we're leaving the boys' room, Rachel looks to me and just says, I don't like that story. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, I heard it all my life. You know, I know Jesus is the Lamb of God. So that's where it's headed and all that. But I just don't like this story. If you really take it at face value, it can turn the stomach, I think. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about a father being asked by a loving God Mm -hmm. to kill his only son. And that's, I think she had a sense of her moral convictions, her conscience being seared a little bit, like something's not right. Right. What am I missing here? Yeah. Now I feel that as well. I do think for me as someone who has heard this story a million times, there's a part of me that might kind of just shrug. I know that story. Right. You kind of get comfortable with it because you've heard it so often. Mm -hmm. But I do think, yeah, when you stop and pay attention to it, you go, wait a second. We're talking about God asking his follower to murder his only child. Mm -hmm. Is that the kind of God that I want to serve? It brings up those kinds of questions, which are, to your point, deep, Mm -hmm. troublesome questions. Very troubling. Yeah. So let's back up for just a moment before we jump too heavily into Abraham and Isaac specifically and just talk about this story and the context with which it resides in. The story is part of the book of Genesis, Mm -hmm. which is the first book of the Bible. Yes. How do we approach this story, the book of Genesis, these scriptures in general, in the sense of who wrote this? Mm -hmm. Why did they write it? Because the historical context of the story, who the intended audience was, all of those things matter in terms of how we read the story, right? Absolutely. And understand it. You know, we can place ourselves in the story. You just kind of jump into it and you're trying to draw maybe spiritual principles from it. And that's definitely understandable. And I think God can use that. But I think an important principle is that God has given scripture for us. He didn't necessarily write it to us. So it might not be direct communication from him to us. The book of Genesis isn't a letter from God to Justin. Right. Specifically. (laughs) Yeah. He's going to minister to me directly through Mm. that. But one of the key things I think that's really important for Genesis, but also the first five books of the, the law or the books of Moses, is that they were likely written, compiled while the nation of Israel was wandering in the desert. Mm. So after being liberated from Egypt before the promised land. Right. And so there's this 40 years of wandering 
that whole history begs the question, like we've been liberated by God, this God from Egypt, who's the world power of the day, along with all their gods. Mm -hmm. He seems to be bigger than them. Now we're in this wilderness and we're surrounded by other nations and their gods. So who is this God that liberated us? What is he like? What's his story? How do we worship him? How do we serve him? Yeah. And this is a story that is positioned in those kinds of questions. That's really interesting because that already lends a whole new perspective on how I might read the story. Today, I don't think about the God of Christianity or the God of Judaism as one of many possible gods. No, not in our context. Yeah. We think about there is a God and it's my God, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? It's the God that I know. Mm -hmm. And yes, maybe there are a few other religions that have a slightly different version of that God, but there's not a pantheon of gods. There were Greek gods, but that's all history. Mm -hmm. So I don't think about God as a potential one of many But it makes sense that if that was your context, you'd want to know more about this particular God. What are Mm -hmm. the attributes of this God? Who is he like? What does he do? How does he think? What is he all about? For me, it feels like I'm not searching for those answers, at least not in the same way, Mm. because I already have that information. This is also like the inbreaking of monotheism, right? So he is the one God. Which is quite the claim in that context. Yes. And still to this day, but especially in this context where... You're invalidating a lot of Yeah, you're basically saying no. If that's true, then he better be a good one. Like, you know? Right. And so who is he? What is he like? What does it look like to worship him? And what kind of God is this? Okay. So God... God, obviously a, a central character in this story. Yes. Now let's talk about Abraham, mm-hmm. right? Who is this guy? Why does he matter? <laughs> what's so special about him? Yeah. And what's so special about his son, Isaac? Mm-hmm. Because there does seem to be, even if you only knew what is presented in this chapter, there does seem to be a very special emphasis placed on the fact that this right. is Abraham's only son. This is a big deal. Yeah. yeah. Abraham, just even from a cultural or historical perspective, Abraham seen as the father of the faith for Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. So if you think about the influence and impact of one person yeah. and their story, it's difficult to top them besides Jesus. Right. <laughs> he would be the one. Yeah. But beyond him, Abraham is probably the most influential single person in human history. Mm. So that's one thing. But in the biblical story in particular, God calls him out from the place where he was, his family, and says, essentially, follow me. I'm going to send you to a place and eventually gives him a promise that I'm going to bless you and you're going to be a blessing for all the nations. And yet Sarah and Abraham are barren and they're very, very old. So it really seems impossible that they would be blessed in terms of an offspring that would somehow <laughs> bless all the nations. Like it's a tremendous claim yeah. that dates back to Genesis and the Garden of Eden, where Eve has this promise that her offspring would crush the head of the serpent and the serpent would bruise his heel. Throughout the story, you're looking for this offspring. Who is this one that's supposed to do this? Who's supposed to crush evil? And now here's another part of the story. Oh, it's going to be through Abraham and this nation that's going to come from Abraham. All of that leads me to the real question I think that I come away with after reading this story. And it goes back to how it makes us feel. I agree with your wife that there's some some discomfort yeah. there, some cringing, I yes, guess, that I kind of want to do. My question is then, 
what the heck? <laughs> that's a good question. <laughs> Great Bible study I, I, question. Yeah. I feel like that's what, what I would want to ask God. Like I said, we don't really get much of a sense of what Abraham's reaction to this was. Mm-hmm. But my reaction, at least in my modern context, is you're talking about these promises and these covenants that have been made. And now you're asking me to do this heinous thing. Mm-hmm sacrificing my own child mm-hmm. and seemingly breaking all of the, yes. the promises and plans that have yeah. been made that are communicated to me, at least as far as I understand them. So what the heck, God, <laughs> yeah. where did this come from? Yeah, not only that, it seems to be morally reprehensible. You know, There's like, that. Yeah. <laughs> well, so back to that story of Abraham, Isaac is this miraculous offspring. Mm-hmm. He's the only one. And somehow through him and whoever comes after him is going to come the one that is going to crush the head of the serpent once and for all. Like you said, all these promises are coming down on Isaac and now offer him up. It's really startling. Yeah. It's surprising. But to the wilderness generation that are wandering around the wilderness, it would not have been as surprising. For our modern context, we're like, how could you? This is horrible. Right. But they would have been surrounded by at least three deities, Baal, Asheroth, and Molech. A lot of different sacrificial practices. And the whole system is hinged on you provide for these gods and you keep them happy or else, you know, they're coming after you. Yes. And uh, they're going to ruin your crops. They're going to take your children and everything's going to go terribly wrong. Kind hearted, loving gods, not necessarily the picture of the deities Mm. that they have in mind. It's almost like a system of bribing, appeasing, you know, even feeding. This is their food, these offerings. So already we've gotten a sense in the story up to this point, the biblical text that offerings to God are different somehow. Mm. And here we get a clearer picture of how they're different. It was not uncommon, especially in desperate times or to display high, high devotion for there to be child sacrifice in those systems. Yeah. And so this idea would not have been so surprising It would have probably been familiar. Abraham's devotion is going to lead him to this point. What is he made of? And so it's a totally different twist to how we might initially read it. Right. So as these people hear this idea of a deity requiring a child sacrifice, that in and of itself is not a particularly shocking thing Mm, because it's a part of religious practice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would have heard of it before and known that. Maybe that's what this God is like. Yeah. That begs the question, you know. Whereas for us, any mention of (gasps) killing a child, that's about the worst sin Mm -hmm. that we can probably come up with is violating children. That's just shocking to the point that it's hard to move past that. And that's really the heart of the story is I remember with Rachel, when we were talking, she's like, I just don't like that that story, you know, something to the effect that it turns my stomach. And I was yeah. like, it's supposed to, mm. it's supposed to turn your stomach and give this tension of he's going up to this mountain. Who is this God? Like, is he going to require us to do child sacrifice the way that these other nations, especially Molech was the main one. That kind of leads us to this hinge point moment in the story mm, yes. where Abraham is raising the knife over Isaac. Mm-hmm. The angel says, nope, stop, cancel everything. Mm-hmm. Don't do that. It's an interesting point that you make that the wilderness generation would not necessarily have been shocked by the idea of a deity requiring mm-hmm. a child sacrifice. No. 
do you think they would have been shocked by the idea that a God would then say, no, stop, never mind. Mm-hmm. Like, is, is that the shocking <laughs> yeah. moment in the story, perhaps, that yeah. God reverses course here and says, no, that's actually not what I require? I think it's almost like shock value. Abraham is so, there's so much faith, so much devotion, just like in the other gods, you know, mm-hmm. he was going to go through with it. This is not a lack of devotion on Abraham's part. What is key is God saying, I am not like this. This is not me. Like he's driving a stake in the ground. No. Which is interesting because I think some of us maybe could interpret it as God being a little Mm wishy-washy or like even changing his mind, right? God doesn't know what he wants. He's like, kill the kid. (laughs) Don't don't kill the kid. Wait, never mind. I don't want you to do that. Massive change of heart. Mm. But it's not really a, a change of heart at all. It's a proving of a point. Yes. In a very dramatic, intense fashion Mm. that has been seared in our minds for millennia, Mm. right? This story has staying power and is so intense. And also there's mystery around it. But some of that mystery has to do with just understanding the context and and God saying like, I am like this. I'm not like these other gods. Mm that would try to do something like this. He's a God that creates life and he gives life. He's the God that, like you mentioned earlier, he's the one who provides. So you don't provide for me. I provide for you. Mm. (laughs) Not only life and your sustenance and all that, but also your sacrifices. I gave you the lambs. I gave you the, I'm the one that gives and gives and gives. So that worship relationship is totally turned on its head. I feed you. You don't feed me. Right. And those offerings become a, a way of responding to that and also being reminded this was his in the first place. To say thank you to God, he gave me the heartbeat and the breath to do that, let alone an animal sacrifice like the system back mm-hmm. in the day. So I think one of the things that is tempting for me personally when I read stories is to imagine ourselves in the shoes of the protagonist mm-hmm. of the story, yep. right? So when we go and read Harry Potter, we imagine ourselves <laughs> as being wizards with wands and getting yeah. sorted into a house. You can go online and take the quiz, right? And find out where you <laughs> yeah. would have gotten placed. We like to imagine ourselves in the middle of these grand adventures. Yeah, part that, of it. And I think we do similar things sometimes, probably with mm-hmm. Bible stories. Sometimes that can help us to inhabit the feelings that must have been present in a story. And that can be a really powerful thing. Like I I mentioned earlier, what would it have been like to have been Abraham and to have received this command, Mm -hmm. right? That's a worthy thought experiment. Mm -hmm. But I also think that there is a temptation at times to look at Bible stories and go, what does this story say about my current situation, Mm, about me and my current culture right here, right now, the best way for me to get at that and figure out what that is, is to place myself in the story. Mm -hmm. So if Abraham is the protagonist of the story Mm -hmm. and God blesses Abraham because he was obedient Mm -hmm. and he had a lot of faith, he trusted God, he Mm -hmm. did what God asked and then God blessed him. That's how the story ends, right? There you go. If I do that, if I follow the blueprint that Abraham is kind of outlined here, I have a lot of faith be obedient. Mm -hmm. God will bless me too. Is that a 
fair <laughs> understanding of the story? Yeah. Or is that something where we're maybe losing some of the context yeah. and the audience that you originally talked mm-hmm. about? How do we, I guess what I'm asking is take that leap from this is what the story meant to these people. Mm-hmm. How should that inform what the story means to me? That's such a good question. And it's really needed. It's really easy from our modern sense of literature and things like that to kind of insert ourselves. And we tend to find the protagonist, which is interesting. Right. We always want to be the good <laughs> yeah, guy. Right. Yeah. A lot of the good guys in the Bible are pretty flawed too, by the way. So it's hard to find a good yeah, guy. Fair uh, point. But what's really important to consider is we want to know what God says on his terms. I understand wanting to see yourself in the story and trying to make sense of it. And yet God wrote this to a particular group of people and understanding that context and certain words and the literary genre of it being a historical narrative, those kind of give pieces to know, okay, why does this matter to me Mm. in a more accurate, in-depth way? And so one thing is Abraham's not the protagonist. (laughs) Mm. Uh Aha. God is the protagonist. And this is a story about he's the one who provides. Right. We think of this story in terms of Abraham had great faith. But for this story, uh, the main point is that God provides. He is not provided for through offerings. Mm. He doesn't need Abraham's faith, you know, any of that. It is good for Abraham to have faith in this God. He's the only true and living God. And God is the one who just chose kind of out of the blue to bless him, to bless all the nations. Yeah. And now he says, okay, I want you to offer the thing that I provided for you miraculously over a period of like 25 or 27 years of waiting for this promise to be fulfilled. Mm. Here comes Isaac and now give him up. All that for God to say, no. I'm not like these other gods. I stand alone. Mm. I provide for you, period, as an act of grace. You don't have to bribe me. Mm. That's not what this relationship's about. This worship relationship is about you recognize I give and I give and I give. Mm. And you can say thank you and offer back. Thank you and offer back. That's what the worship relationship is. And then ultimately... We see that relationship, that worship relationship fulfilled in the person of Jesus. Yes, absolutely. That's the ultimate provision Mm -hmm. of God. We probably have all heard, if you've heard of this story, if you've heard sermons about this story, Mm -hmm. we've probably heard the parallels of Jesus as the Lamb of God, God providing the Lamb Mm -hmm. to Abraham and Isaac in this story. There's a, a term that's used in modern culture Jesus juking. Yes. John Acuff coined this term <laughs> and he, he coined it to describe when someone like takes a topic of conversation and then turns kind of a, I don't know, a lighthearted thing into like a, a serious, holy spiritual thing. Yeah. <laughs> like I like to go to the gym and exercise and someone criticizes you saying like, well, are you putting that same amount of effort into your soul, oh, you know, and your, <laughs> your spiritual life and makes it about that yeah. when it wasn't. And, and usually kind of in an aggressive, yes. kind of forceful, mean, kind forceful of, yeah. way. But I've heard some people use that term like Jesus juking about Old Testament stories, because Mm -hmm. a lot of times you'll hear in a sermon, if it's a good one, I would probably say that you'll hear the pastor make an Old Testament story about Jesus, right? Well, is this story that was told to a people thousands of years before Jesus ever showed up on the scene? Is it really about Jesus? Are we trying to like stretch it and make it about something that it's not? Where do you see Jesus in this story? 
Yeah, that's a really good question. It's again, uh, my conversation with Rachel, it's kind of like, yeah, I know Jesus is the lamb of God. Right. And, you know, like, yeah, I got all that. You know, you got a lamb provided <laughs> over really here. About? You got a lamb <laughs> provided over here, you know? Yeah. Uh, and that is true. Mm-hmm. He is the lamb of God that takes the sins of the world away for sure. But each text needs to be taken in its context. Like I said before, grammatically, historically, in terms of literary genre. And yet, with all that work, which we kind of talked about done, still that text is not uh, fully understood until it leads us to the person and work of Jesus in his first and second coming. There is a Jesus juke that's needed, (laughs) like a legitimate one, but it needs to follow the true text within the context of that story, like Abraham and Isaac in, in this instance. Here we see something like this, the Lamb of God, which is Jesus puts Molech and the rest of the false idols to shame Mm. for horrendous harming demands of offerings of crops and children and whatever else. Mm. Jesus himself said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Who does that sound like? But I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Yes, the ram in Abraham and Isaac's story has been provided. And that has ultimately substituted for Isaac's life, who is also the key to the promise. He is the offspring that we know about so far in the story. Mm -hmm. You follow the story all the way through. Who has that progeny led to? The one, which is Jesus. And what kind of Messiah, what kind of son of God is he? He's the one that gives life. Mm. He lays his life down. So, yes, he's the Lamb of God. But let's also get there by that beautiful contrast between the one true and living God and all the rest. And that's who Jesus is and amazingly does lay his life down for us. So Abraham had great faith. Yes. He was obedient. Yes. But more than that. God was teaching him about his character Mm -hmm. and his provision. Yes. And that seems to be the summation of the story. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Right then where he lived in that situation provision, but also millennia after him, Mm. the provision, the offspring that would bless the nations. Thanks for listening to Faith Refresh. You can find more Real FM pods and tons of other cool stuff on the Real FM app and at real.fm. Faith Refresh is hosted by Justin Rizanowski and I'm Anson Beyer. If you enjoyed the show, please consider writing a review on your platform of choice. It will help others discover the podcast and listen for themselves. Faith Refresh is a part of the Real FM Podcast Network, a ministry of John Brown University.